Nowadays, everyone seems to be very busy. From CEOs right down to employees starting their career, modern culture demands that we are always on. But being too busy can seriously affect the performance and impact of leaders, their focus, clarity of thought, creativity, and impact on others. It also often affects their health, well-being, and work-life balance, critical components for long-term sustainable success. Today, we're talking to Dr. Jill Walker, a transformative executive coach who has worked with top talents from organizations such as LinkedIn, Google, AIB, Paddy Power, and Enterprise Ireland to help them create the work and life they really want. We're gonna chat about the effects of being busy on performance, what happens in our brains when we're busy, and practical tips for leaders looking to work better, not busier. So Jill, welcome to IMI. Thank you very much, it's great to be here. So I'll start with, uh, you recently gave a session on IMI, Advantage session, about how to be better, not busier. Can you just explain that concept a little? Absolutely. So the reality is we, we live and we work in a busy world these days. So our jobs are often busy, the organizations we work in are busy, and often people's lives are busy outside mm. work. And, and that really isn't gonna change anytime mm. soon. The problem in this is that we've started to equate success with busyness. Mm. So often we think that by being busy, we're successful. But in fact, actually, often the opposite is true, especially when people are busy on the wrong things and they're not getting yeah. time to focus on the really important stuff. So when I give talks like this, um, I really start identifying what the problem is. So what is the cost of busyness to people, how it's having an impact? And the reality is um, it really is significantly affecting people's performance at work, particularly when it comes to the leadership level where mm. we have to be able to think strategically, think clearly, be able to make good decisions, see the wood from the trees, all of that kind of thing. And then of course, as you've just said, because it takes a personal toll as well, then that's not very sustainable for leaders when it comes to resilience and like sustain long-term sustainable high performance. So really what I do is I help people recognize first of all what the problem is. And mm. then because I'm a pretty practical person, <laughs> I don't like to leave people with the problem without giving them solutions. We then get into what are practical ways that you can actually create some space in this busy world and how can you create a sense of calm even when mm. round you work is busy or life is busy so that you can really perform at your best and you mentioned that resilience it's, it's a it's a topic that comes up constantly and i can imagine it's very related how what is the link between busyness and resilience so i've been teaching resilience in organizations for 18 years mm. and what i found is that no matter what resilience techniques you teach people, or even if people know what would help them to be calmer or cope with stress better or whatever, the reality is the biggest thing that gets in their way is not having enough time. Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody knows that if they exercised, mm -hmm. it would calm them down, switch them off, mean that they're more relaxed and focused the next day in work. But then if they're not getting time to do it, busyness is getting in the way. So to me, busyness is the absolutely fundamental kind of core thing you need mm -hmm. to tackle first. And then once you've tackled that, you can then you can use all the other strategies. But otherwise, what you're doing is you're you're in that knowing doing gap. You know what you should be doing with yeah. resilience, but you're not managing to actually Which do I, it. Which I think I'd probably fall into that gap very strongly. So what's the difference today for leaders in terms of how resilient they need to be? Has the environment really changed significantly? We often talk about constantly changing, moving landscape, but has it really changed that much for leaders at the very top? Well, not just for leaders at the very top, but, but everywhere, the reality is our culture has changed. Mm. I mean, I suppose the biggest thing really that's changed, of course, is technology. So we have now, obviously, we have email and smartphones and we have instant messaging and all of this. But not only around the technology, but also just our world is so switched on. Everything is 24-7. So we mm. can have 
24-7 supermarkets and online banking you can do at two o'clock in the morning and you know, it's kind of like everything is switched on and available all the time. Everything's instantly yeah. accessible. So we're never really switching off. Even things like sleep. I mean, sleep should be the one place where we can switch off. But actually, there are apps that you can learn while you sleep. And no, even really? yeah, And it's mad. It's, it's mad, <laughs> isn't it? I know. And even things like I came across recently, um, speed yoga. I mean, it's sort of, the, the, sort of self-defeating. I know. I kind of, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? So in other words, we're in this very, very switched on, busy, busy world. And what happens is when we live in that day to day, it becomes the norm. We kind of think it's, it's normal. We get used to it. It's, it's the same when we're driving. I don't know if you've ever noticed if you drive onto the motorway first and you have to accelerate and yeah. you can really feel that you're going 120 kilometers an hour. But if you were to, you know, travel along for a little while and then you were to pull off and you're to go, you went through a, a village where there's a 50 kilometer limit. Mm. Do you ever notice the way it feels really agonizing? Yes, slow? My, my finger moves towards the horn at those points. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You feel like you're creeping slowly along. And that's because we've we've become what's called velocitized. That means we've got really used to the, the speed. It just feels yeah. really normal. But just because something is the norm doesn't make it right. Um, I think about in my lifetime, I grew up when people smoked on airplanes, yeah. in restaurants and cinemas. We didn't have car seats for kids when they were little, uh, when I was growing up. And um, things like recycling, nobody's recycling. Mm. So just because it's the norm doesn't make it right. And I think that's what the conversation that we're starting to have now is, is that just because busyness is everywhere around us doesn't make it right, doesn't mean it's actually not having a negative impact on us both at work and, and personally as well. And how did you come to the topic? Uh, was there personal reasons for us? Did you see something in the environment? I suppose the biggest reason was the business reason, like mm. what I was seeing day to day. So because I've worked as an executive coach and I've worked in leadership development for 18 years, it didn't matter what organization it was. It didn't matter whether, like I, I work in some very high tech, fast paced, competitive yeah. organization. You'd expect it to be busy there. Yeah. But actually it didn't matter what organization, public sector, private sector, global multinational small Irish company traditional um, modern online company yeah. what I was seeing day to day with everybody was people being too busy people finding it hard to get to the important stuff people finding it hard to switch off when they got home and therefore not being as focused and fresh the next day all and it's very hard to measure anecdotally but did you see a trend that they were getting more busy within those environments or yeah. was it they were being pushed that way it's really the environment is the environment is getting busier and faster yeah. and things like things like the instant messaging and then the email and then the follow-up text saying did you get my email and all that kind of stuff yeah. so definitely in the time that you know I've been watching how things have changed and I think the biggest thing is is the fact that people are taking work home yeah. because they've got their smartphones and so on and that there are fewer boundaries between people's days and, and and so on and that's really what's changing as well and, and for yourself you're you're a business owner yourself did did you personally experience this was there any sort of a road to damascus moment for yourself i have to say there was even though it was something i was always very interested in and worked a lot with clients and, and worked a lot in the, in the resilience yeah. space i did actually have my own aha moment and um it was actually back at the beginning of 2017 and I had done, as a business leader should do, I was taking some time out from the business mm -hmm. to reflect on my business. And I'd taken myself down to the Paris Court Hotel, lovely view over the mountains down there, the right environment for good creative and, and strategic thinking. And so armed with flip charts and all that kind of thing, I started brainstorming. And very quickly, one word became really clear to me that was at the heart of what I needed to do. And so I wrote it in the middle of a flip chart and it was space. Mm. That I felt that I was spread too thin 
that I wasn't there for. I was trying to do too many things, but yeah. not doing some things as well as I wanted to. So I realized that was at the heart of it, to do my best work, was to create more time and space for what was really important. So I spent the rest of the day and a half figuring out how I would make that happen. Um, and, I, and I made lots of changes. So I actually cut 30% of my business. So I decided I would stop offering certain services. I would um, pass on other work. I would outsource certain mm-hmm. things. And then I decided to take on two people into the business to take over some of the administrative side of things. And then what happened was, um, obviously, these things aren't an overnight thing. They take yeah. a bit of time to put into place and get up and running and change my marketing and my website and so on. So after a few months, you know, I looked at how things were. And the reality was I was just as busy as I'd always been. Like, I genuinely felt just as busy. Yeah. And it was just a massive aha moment. How could I have chopped 30% of my business and taken on extra resources and, and been as busy? And that was when I really realized just how deeply rooted being busy is and how hard it is to change I did figure out how to change it but that was my <laughs> that was when I started when we come to that yeah but let's get into that yeah too. and that's how I really started delving into this and researching it and trying to figure out a way and um, to, to change things as a business owner I'll ask you this as well you, you talked about being busy as sort of a scene as a sign of success I wonder if that's a, psycholog- a psychological trick we play on ourselves i.e. we are busy therefore we must be important therefore we are a success is that just pop psychology or is there any truth in that? No, it's absolutely true. So what happens is, so so far I've been talking about the other side of, of busyness, which is where it has a negative impact. Mm. But the reason why we keep doing it is we get the short term hit. Yeah. We get the adrenaline rush. We get the ego boost. You know, that feeling of ticking things off your, mm. off your list and so on. Um, and it can make us feel good. And, and that's partly why we keep doing it. Um, and also we validate ourselves as well through through being seen to be busy and thinking we're busy just notice when people bump into each other these days do you ever notice how the conversation goes people can't you know how it goes busy busy yeah how are you busy busy exactly and we're validating ourselves Mm. so really what needs to change is actually that we stop doing that that we don't see busyness as a badge of honor but actually what we need to do is start seeing it as a sign that something's not right or something Mm. needs to change and that's when things will start to shift for people yeah, my dad was a business owner. He used to say, if they're not leaving at half five, you've given them too much work or they're not good enough at their job. Yeah. That was his general yeah. opinion. So what happens to our brains when we're busy? Well, what's the, the, the chemicals going on inside? Okay. So what's happening when we're, we're busy in our brains is that um, the reality is our, our brains, when they're stressed, work differently from when they're calm. And when our brains are, are a little bit stressed or there's a bit of adrenaline in the system, then we don't think as clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's cortisol in the system. Um, we can't concentrate as well. We're more forgetful. It also, what's interesting is we tend to get a narrower focus. So particularly for the leaders who need to see the bigger picture, be able to step back, mm. be able to innovate. What happens is it's much harder to do that when our brains are, are stressed. But even if there isn't stress, even if it's just that you know that busyness, that, but you don't feel stressed at all, um, there is a difference between calm thinking and what happens in our mind and a calm brain and a, a brain that's busier. And there are different brain waves, fast brain waves and slow brain waves. Mm. And we need fast brain waves. Just as, by the way, I'm not saying that being busy is always a bad thing. Mm. There's good busy. And when we're, There's a lot of research saying that yeah. a little bit of stress and a little bit of challenge will push yeah, you. And, absolutely. Yeah. And, and raise our motivation and all mm. that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And we need that. You know, we need to have that gear we can switch into when we're like, get it done. Quick, quick, quick. Go, go, mm. go. And that's great. And most of us know that place. 
What we also need though is the slower brain waves and that's when we need for really important decisions, for innovation, for being creative, mm. for strategic thinking, for we have to get clarity, all of that sort of stuff. And those are the slower brain waves and that's, that's what uh, a calm brain happen, has. Uh, in your experience as an uh, executive coach and an expert in resilience, what do you think is the actual impact of business on leadership performance? Let, let's look at the CEO of a, a, an SME company. If they're too busy, what will happen to them and their team? Okay. So what I might give you is a couple of specific examples yeah. and I might share some actual data with you. So one example that comes to mind is uh, I was working with a, a senior leader and he was at all of the right leadership qualities. I mean, he really was exceptional. And um, he did a 360 feedback and he got some he got some feedback from people that he was, wait till you hear this now, meandering in <laughs> meetings. When we picked it apart um, and tried to figure out what was going on, it was really clear what was happening was that because he was so busy, he was going, he was had a lot of back-to-back meetings. Mm. So he was rushing from one meeting to the next and he was doing his thinking in the meetings. Oh, okay. So obviously then he wasn't giving that sort of clear, calm, direct vision and clarity that's expected of a leader and it was simply a practical thing of having no space between meetings so that's the kind of thing where it was having a huge impact on how he was coming across as a leader even though it was just down to a simple practical thing around so he was spending the first 15 minutes just orientating around the subject and then openly discussing his thoughts with his group well he was just going in different directions which you would if you were thinking about things yeah which you do and sometimes he would go down rabbit holes Mm. or get distracted and so on whereas if he'd done his thinking which he started to do after working with me he started to do plan that differently Um, but he just wasn't coming across with the sort of clarity that we expect of our leaders Mm. because he was having to do that in, in the meetings is there any sort of data or statistics we can point to here? Yeah, actually, before we get to the data, I might share one other example. Yeah, just, to give you a, just to give you a different one. Um, I was doing some outdoor leadership development with a, a team a while back. And they were, again, super competitive, high-achieving group of, of people. Mm. In fact, so much so that they were nailing a lot of the tasks. Like, I'd seen a lot of these tasks done, but these guys were just flying through it. You know the kind of type, yeah. the, the super high-achieving type. Until they came to one particular task. And it was one of those tasks that needed like really sort of smart thinking, needed a bit of standing back and mm. kind of looking kind of big picture stuff. It was sort of a, a task where you had to move objects from one side to the other and there were particular rules about it. A little bit of lateral thinking. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of lateral thinking. But what was so interesting was they were a complete mess in this task. And one person was saying, oh, I can see it and moving things. And then somebody else saying, oh, no, it's like this. And they were talking over each other. And eventually I just had to say, stop. Nobody think or nobody talk. And they just looked at it and we just paused for a while and then eventually I said okay off you go and one person as calm as anything just said I have the answer and did it <laughs> and what was going on was they were so good in the busy busy fast space you know no better team to do that and the, that was the culture they're in but when the situation required them to move into that as you say the lateral thinking or being a bit more creative or being able to like step back they just weren't used to, to changing gear. Mm. And that's what leaders need to be able to do. They need to be able to switch between the fast go, 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 and also be able to move into that 
calmer, clearer thinking and to be able to know how to do that and have space for that. And I presume that could be extrapolated out across an organisation. If your teams are always busy, 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 you're yeah. eventually just going to hit that roadblock and you're not yeah. going to be innovating at the edges and, and, and all yeah, that sort of thing. exactly. And going down, you know, rabbit holes and, yeah. and not knowing which projects we, you know, we should actually be stopping and, and so on and so forth. So let's put those numbers on yeah, it. Yeah, let's put um, the numbers on it. Data and statistics, can, can yeah, we, can we do, is there any solid stuff we can cling on to here? There is, and maybe it's the psychologist in me, or maybe it's the, the left brain side of me, but even though I was seeing this all the time, I have to admit, I really, really wanted to see some hard numbers yeah. around this. And so I did a survey towards the beginning of this year just to find out what the numbers were like and what the story actually was. And I have to admit, even though I knew this and I was seeing it all the time, I was still shocked at the both the how universal the problem of busyness was yeah. and the extent to which it was impacting people. So what I found in the survey was that over 90% of people said that busyness was affecting their ability to think clearly, it was affecting their ability to prioritise, and it was affecting the quality of their work and also how innovative and creative they were. So really mm. it, was, it was everybody. This wasn't yeah. a small pocket of people or in certain organisations or certain teams within organisations, it was universal. And then in terms of how much it was affecting them, what I found out was over half of people said that it often affected things like having time for important long-term projects. It was often affecting their time for quality thinking and often affecting um, the time they had to develop both themselves and their team. And of course, these are all core leadership behaviours and leadership skills. Particularly nowadays where yeah. every industry is essentially changing. So th- that sort of thinking is, I know. is required now. Exactly. I mean, it's... It was really, even though I knew it, it was still shocking, to be mm. honest, to see it in black and white. And I'm sure the leaders of organisations wouldn't like to think that actually this is what's happening below them. You know, people are going mm. around not able to prioritise well or do their best work or work on long term projects because they're caught up in that short term immediacy of, of deadlines and some of the less important work. And what's the personal impact on the individual then? Do we have evidence of sort of long term effects of being in that constant busy state of mind? Yeah. So again, I'll share what I've seen and then also some of the data around it. So what I've been seeing teaching the resilience courses for 18 years was honestly, it was this, you know, changed the organization, but it was the same story. People saying they were, it was affecting their sleep, finding it hard to switch off when they came home from Mm -hmm. work, not feeling as present when they were at home, Mm -hmm. not getting time for important things like time with family and friends and so on. So that was what I was seeing again and again. And even an example that always comes to mind was recently I was working with a, a lady and only when she started talking about it did she start to see the pattern. But what was happening was she was typically leaving each job after about two years. But when we started to explore it, what was actually happening wasn't that she didn't like the job, wasn't that she was moving on to something better. It was that she didn't know how to create some balance and she was going at it 100% mm. without any sort of balance at all. And what was happening was she was burning out. And there, there was this pattern emerging of going at it 100%, burning out, leaving the organisation, rebuilding herself, going into another job. And she was amazing at what she did. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, that was both the personal impact on her, the toll it was taken. But the reality was the organisations were suffering too. They were losing a really, really good talent. And that's that's what can happen. And very quickly losing that talent. Yeah. Two years, you're probably only going to start performing really around then and then yeah. suddenly you're burnt out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is possibly a stupid question, um, but it may give us a way of looking at this that will help. Do you think Jeff Bezos is busy or Tim Cook at Apple? Okay, well, what I will say is I haven't worked with either of them personally. <laughs> so 
the reality is I, I, I can't answer that question specifically. Mm. But what I can say is have, having worked with a lot of CEOs, a lot of very senior people, what makes them the CEO or what makes them that very senior person is because in this busy world that we live in, they have found a way to be strategic, to think clearly, to be able to stand back and see what's really important even amongst that busyness. So actually, it's the ability to get out of the busyness mm. and be able to think clearly is what, to me, stands out about them rather than somebody else. And is, is that calmness, let's call it, is that yeah. innate? Is, is that something, uh, obviously you can develop any characteristics to a certain yeah. degree, but is that calmness innate? There's no doubt some people naturally yeah. are more calm than others. They're, you know, you look around you, you will see that. But this stuff absolutely can be, can be learned and changed. Yeah. I've been really heartened <laughs> by how how much even just small changes have mm. made a massive massive difference to people that I've worked with it really just changing some small things seems to start this positive spiral effect yeah. just like you can have the negative spiral of busyness so you feel busy you think you're busy you get more stressed you know your brain doesn't work as well you get into that negative spiral in the same way you can create a, a positive spiral so it absolutely can be changed but yes you're right people do have different personality types well let's get into that positive spiral and, and mm-hmm. sort of into the practicalities um let's try and drill down into best practices for leaders today sure. and address some of the common challenges that they'll face you talked about starting with your mindset in order to be less busy. Can you tell me more about this? Yes, absolutely. So if if I go back to that story that I told you when I dropped 30% of my business, but I was still just as busy, that was honestly when I realized that it's your mindset that really is the starting point for busyness. I realized in that moment, as long as I felt busy, I always would be busy. It didn't matter how much I changed mm. externally, if I felt busy, you know that feeling where you think, I'm so busy, I've got so much to do. So you basically just transferred yeah. your emotions from one yeah. area to another. Yeah, exactly. So nothing, even though I changed things externally, if I was still feeling it in my head, I was still always going to be busy. Mm. So I changed a couple of things straight away. When I, I Honestly, it was a massive aha moment and I changed a couple of things. First of all, I decided I would stop having that conversation in my head. I would stop telling myself I was busy. So the minute I started to feel that thing that we sometimes feel, I've got so much on, I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying that, what I started to use was a positive mantra. Now, you can use whatever one you like. My <laughs> one that I've used is, I have all the time and space for everything I need. And by the way, it's not for everything because yeah. nobody has all the time and space for everything. Whatever is Whatever it is that is calming and stops you from getting into that spiral of feeling more frazzled and more overwhelmed and so on. So when I've talked about this in workshops, people have come up with some great ones from... Um, things like one step at a time or take a breath, whatever works for you. But it's it does start with a mindset. And there's a there's a great book by a guy called Carl Honore called In Praise of Slow. And mm. he sums this up in a lovely quote. He says, in the war against the cult of speed, the front line is inside our heads. And it's honestly true. It starts there. The the slowness piece uh, I keep seeing at the, the sort of... Uh, move slow to move fast almost mm. um, I keep seeing that coming up it seems yeah. to be a new way of combating this incredible complexity that's just all around yeah. us one of the classic signs of business is someone multitasking that uh, I've got a million things on expression mm-hmm. is common around Irish offices what's your advice on multitasking um, I've heard the statistics and what it does to productivity but how do you break out of the habit from it the first thing is to realise it doesn't work yeah that we actually can't, first of all, we actually can't physically multitask. What mm. we think is multitasking is actually switching between tasks. 
even if it's very quick switching between tasks, but it's switching. And what happens when we switch is there's a cost, a cognitive cost, a cost in our brain, our focus and our concentration when we switch. Even if that switch is a really tiny switch, even if it's just a quick check and see who that text is from or that instant message is from, oh, I don't need to deal with it now. So it doesn't need to mean a 10-minute interruption. Mm. A tiny little interruption like that massively impacts on our focus and concentration. In fact, the American Psychological Association did a big study and they found that even those small interruptions, those self-interruptions like that, can mean that we actually take up to 40% longer over the course of a day to do tasks. And when we talk about interruptions, this is literally could be a ping on your desktop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the thing about multitasking is just to say to you, multitasking is out, it's left back in the 1980s. What it's all about now is monotasking. Mm. Now, just to clarify, that does not mean, because most of us don't have the luxury to work on one task right to the end until yeah. we start the next one. I don't mean that. We're all juggling multiple priorities. But it means that as much as possible in any one moment in time that we're only focusing on that so that we're not flicking between instant messenger or flicking onto our phone while we're also trying to write that important report, that we focus on that report, that maybe we take a break, we, we check our email or we do something mm. else, that we go back to it, but that we focus on one thing at a time. It makes a massive impact in terms of our efficiency. And actually, let's just talk about that little switching between tasks. So you are monotasking, you, you do your couple of pages of your report, your first draft of your report, and then you switch tasks. Mm. Should you get up? have a coffee should you walk around your desk you know um should you take a little five minute break between tasks or should you no it's fine i've done this task now i can move on to that one i'm a big fan of taking breaks mm. the biggest judging judging thing about when to take a break is when you can feel your own concentration dipping mm. and those little mini breaks are absolutely brilliant so that just that moment to pop around to somebody's desk when you have to yeah. say something to them or as you say to make a coffee break or, their focus not yours yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> whatever whatever it might be that little walk just getting up from the desk anything at all um is really really helpful in terms of concentration absolutely um, you also talked about creating buffers for yourself as a leader. Um, what do these buffers look like in reality and what are the challenges in creating them? Okay, so first of all, let me explain what, what the point of a yeah. buffer is. Again, if we use an analogy of driving, we leave a buffer, don't we, between us and the car in front of us. Yeah. And the reason for that is if they brake suddenly, we then have time to maneuver safely and so on. Mm. When our days are completely busy and scheduled, we have no buffers, we have no room for maneuver if the printer breaks or a client rings with a crisis and we thought we'd three hours to prepare that presentation for the senior management meeting tomorrow. So buffers are about creating some of those spaces. And two ways that are really helpful to do it. One is to create a buffer between meetings wherever possible. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a lot of people don't have full control over their calendars and people schedule meetings, but where you possibly can, where somebody says to you, can we meet at two o'clock tomorrow? And you know that you've got a meeting straight afterwards. You might suggest a different time or later or earlier or something like that. But that you have a space between meetings, both for the preparation, so you don't get the meandering feedback, and also afterwards, so that we can action the things, so that we're not getting this backlog of things that are mounting during the day because we're not getting to action between between meetings i saw a lovely thing actually it might have been in your advanced session a suggestion was to start meetings at quarter past the hour yeah so start at 2 15 to 3 o'clock so you always have that 15 minutes because no one's going to schedule the 15 minutes to do anything there exactly it's a great idea as well for shortening meetings is to mm. make hour-long meetings 45 minutes or half an hour meetings 15 minutes yeah. etc i think i've said it before i'm always astonished how many meetings last exactly 60 minutes exactly and most of them don't need to because they say about 50 percent of time is wasted in meetings yeah. the other buffer though so that's one between meetings another very easy buffer for people to use 
is we know that people chronically underestimate how long tasks take mm. them, even tasks that they do very regularly. Mm. So a very, very simple thing you can do is the next time you're estimating how long a task will take you, say you think it's going to take you a day, allocate in your mind a day and a half. Yep. If you think it's going to take you an hour, allocate yourself 90 minutes. And that way we don't have that, and uh, we have that room for manoeuvre and we're less likely to keep running over on top of things, which, which means that we have that sense of feeling never on top of, yeah, yeah or feeling behind. Beyond those buffers, you explore the concept of white spaces at your Advantage session. It's a common concept, but could you just explain it a bit more to the listeners? Yes, absolutely. So what white space is, it's the idea of all of us, particularly leaders, need thinking time, planning time. And so I recommend that people try and allocate at least two hours a week where they have they can do that kind of longer term planning and thinking and they schedule it in their diary it's called white space because obviously nothing else goes yeah. in it now i would recommend that you call it something so that it's <laughs> the space is taken and people use creative names or strategy time or what, whatever whatever works for you um but what i found is it's the number one thing that helps people get out of the busyness it is absolutely turns things around um mm. for people and um, so one of my clients who's very senior in a, in a large online organization here, he started using it and he actually called it Starbucks time because <laughs> he, he used to go to Starbucks and Blackrock where there's yeah. a lovely view because it's really important it's in the right environment so yeah. you can do your best thinking. But actually over time he changed the name and he called it CEO time. And the reason he called it CEO time is he realized when he watched the impact it was having on his leadership ability and his performance and what was happening as a result of it, he decided it was just as important as a meeting with the CEO. So that's that's how it and, and would you have any pr- practical sort of tips to, to, to how, how to approach that white space? Because again, yeah. I, I, it sounds fantastic, but I mm. would imagine if I did it for myself, I'd go to Starbucks and suddenly be after five minutes, oh, I might grab a paper and, and start reading. Is, is that what you should be doing? Or should, should you set yourself a task before you go to that space? Well, that's interesting because all the clients that I've worked with have found it's the number one thing that makes a difference in their jobs. Yeah. They absolutely love it. I, I haven't heard of anybody, you know, <laughs> meandering off and reading the paper instead because it becomes their most precious time. They start to see the huge value it has because that's what most people, particularly leaders, are craving with all the busyness is this time to actually do the important stuff. And it's when they start this spiral of, increased impact is so, it one of those things that sort of during the week you're almost thinking of questions and say i'm going to yeah, think about that exactly exactly yeah. so one lady that i worked with um a while ago she was she was one of these um people who was really bright really hard working um kind of type a personality yeah. um, very driven very motivated kind of person you know the sort of person who if you gave them a job you know it'll be done and you know it'll be done really super well yeah. So when I met her, that's the way she was working. The downside for her was she was bringing her laptop home every single night and every weekend. She was doing what she called the second shift. After her kids were in bed, the laptop would come out. She started doing this white space thing and she started making some changes around that, around the busyness. And what started to happen was she started to step up as a leader. She could start to see over a couple of months that she was having way more impact as a leader. And she completely stopped taking her laptop home but the interesting thing is not only did she do that as she was getting more time with her kids and enjoying her job more she was promoted to director level during Mm. that time and that's what this being better not busier thing is about is it's not just about being less busy it's when you do that you start to perform better 
So it's often often the sort of uh, the comeback from employees, I suppose, would be saying, oh, well, it's well for them, the CEOs, mm. that they can take this executive time. But I suppose what you're saying is the reason why they're CEOs is that the ability that they have to step back and take this yeah. sort of time and think strategically. Yeah, that they've recognised the importance of this. Um, you've probably uh, heard the, the phrase, what got you here won't get you there. <laughs> and often what, in the earlier part of our careers, often what can help us is to be the hardworking person yeah. who puts their head down and gets stuff done. But after a certain point in your career, and this isn't at the CEO level, it's way before mm. that, actually just putting your head down and being busier and getting the work done is not enough. And we have to be able to see what's, to start to discern what's more important and get time to focus on the value add pro- projects, etc. And that's what things like the white space can help us with. Do you have any examples of leading CEOs using these kind of techniques um, and what effect it'll have? I think you gave me a couple of examples. Do you have any more? Yes, absolutely. Um, the one that springs to mind around the white space is Jeff Weiner, CEO of LinkedIn. Mm. And he, he used a different name. He actually used he used the term buffer in that context. But he I recommend to people that they aim for two hours a week. He was actually deciding to have 90 minutes to two hours every single day as white space or a buffer. And he said that at first it felt like an indulgence, Mm. but very quickly he realized it was his number one productivity tool. So he's a really, really good example and advocate of that. Another example would be Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter and Square. Mm. And he sees himself as the chief editor of the organization. He feels that there's a thousand things the company could be doing mm. and his job is to say what they won't do, what they'll stop doing and, and so on. So they, that's this idea of strategic subtraction. The kill your darlings philosophy. Yeah, kill your darlings philosophy. And actually it's a really, really difficult and challenging um, skill for leaders, but a really, really important one because most leaders can figure out what new stuff they can do. That's mm. actually pretty easy. New products, new services, that kind of stuff. What's actually much tougher for leaders is to decide and take the courageous decision of what we're not going to do, what we're going to stop doing so that people aren't, and the organisation isn't spread too thin. So it's that idea from essentialism of less but better. Yeah. So that's what he and I presume that, that there is always that a tendency to ask for more information, to give me more, to, to look at it more. But mm. actually, in reality, they should be looking at it from write down the drill down point of view and say no time to end it Done. yeah yeah exactly and then it's not just the famous ceos um yeah. uh, ceo that i've worked with um uh, well-known ceo he was one of those people that he was actually really good at taking time out to think and plan and be strategic and he used to go on retreats and things like that but his one of the things that he had to change was he liked to be very available to people he was a very person who liked to give of his time and of, him, of himself. And so the biggest change he needed to make and that he did make was actually those buffers between meetings. Mm-hmm. Because he liked to give his time, he often ran over and he overbooked himself with meetings. Yeah. So he started to create those buffers and really, really hold tight to those buffers. And honestly, I can tell you, it was almost invisible, the difference in him when he made that change. So there are lots of CEOs doing this. But the reality is we shouldn't just be talking about CEOs. This, you know, yeah. these ideas and concepts are for, for everyone in organizations and at every level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw, I just want to cover this because I, I saw when you, a phrase in one of your articles, adrenaline withdrawal sickness, which is essentially people getting sick in their holidays. I think this is very familiar to people. Can you explain why this happens? Absolutely. So what happens is, maybe even coffee and sugar and stimulants, so really where, where our bodies are in that kind of busy, alert state. 
And in a, a very non-medical or physiological way, what's happening is our bodies are, are too busy to mm. get sick. They can't because they're in this kind of heightened state. What happens is we go on holiday, we relax, we slow down. Our bodies kind of go, ah, now I can get sick. And that's why we get the flu or something happens when we're on holidays. Yeah. So what we need to do instead is take those breaks and get that balance along the way. It's something that happens constantly. Um, so I want to do a, a rapid fire round okay. and try and get some tips for listeners just to, to, to end the, the, the conversation. I'm going to name a couple of typical working day devices and habits and get your advice on them. So let's start with a big one. What about emails? Should we only check them intermittently, turn off notifications? What's the advice? Well, unless your job is absolutely time critical and time sensitive, like being in um, technology support or something yep. like that, then really all notifications should be turned off and because of that distraction factor that we have. And as much as possible, we want to avoid the quick check. You know that quick check yeah. of my email before I go to a meeting or go to lunch or go to something else? The problem with that is we do the quick check, but then we don't have time to actually reply or action it or forward it on to the appropriate person and so on. So we end up having to go back and rereading it, which is incredibly inefficient. Mm. So the best thing about emails is switch off the notifications and then also try to chunk your email time. In other words, look at your email less often, but when you do, have the time to actually follow through so you can actually... So checking your email almost becomes a task in and of itself. Yeah, and rather than that habitual quick check, which is actually inefficient very very inefficient i would imagine with emails if you went to any computer desktop right now the one common thing was everyone will have their emails open so is the advice come in in the morning yes get your coffee open up the emails but once you've checked it seeing there's no bombs in there you can turn it off and check it later on yeah you can turn it off or you can turn off the alerts i mean most people do like to keep it on Mm. so long as you don't have the alerts on but what i would say is if you had that really important deadline that's yeah. looming in a few hours or the next morning or whatever that's the time to switch it off for for an hour or half an hour or a couple yeah. of hours i mean we do need to be accessible and available and so on but there are times to know where the off button is both on our on our phones and on our emails working at the weekends um what are the rules leaders should impose on themselves here well i'm not going to dictate to anybody what they should do <laughs> on their weekends but what i have seen or, or what I've seen a lot is that um, leaders and anybody working in organizations need to, to create their own boundaries mm. around their working hours around when they switch off so that they can fully switch off from work otherwise it becomes counterproductive we start to get more tired less fresh and therefore less efficient in work and so on so a really really good example of this is um, Fanula Mean head of Google Ireland I yeah. read recently and she was quoted as saying that she leaves the office at 5.30 every day and she does that so that she can do her job properly, mm. so that she comes back the next day refreshed and able to do her job. And not only that, it's not just for her as head of Google. She says this is the, the advice that she gives to everybody. So really, it's not about having prescriptive rules, but it, it's about finding your own boundaries and rules that work for you so that you get to switch off and you get to be coming to work fresh. And if you met someone at the, at the moment and they said, yes, I probably open my emails for three hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday evening, What's your first step for them? You know, what, what would you tell them? Would you say, okay, you should wean it down to 20 minutes or should you just say, go cold turkey, take this away from yourselves and see what happens? Well, as a coach, I'm unlikely to, I'm unlikely to tell them what to do. I'm much more likely to explore how that's working for them, yeah. how it isn't, because you don't know. I mean, we can often make assumptions about that, you know, that wouldn't work for me, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work for them. Mm. But I would, for, but for most people, spending that much time checking their emails at, at the weekend is probably 
not sustainable for them in terms of being at their best performance because we need to be able to switch off and have times where our brains rest and we switch into other things in order to have that really high performance in a sustainable way. And what's the effect on employees when they come back in on the weekend and they or from the weekend and they see you know those 10 emails from their senior leaders, senior management team? What's the effect on them in the short and maybe even in the long term as well? So of course as leaders, um, it's not only the leader themselves, their behavior, but of course what they're role modeling to other mm. people. And now that we know that there are figures out there showing just the massive, massive impact on people's performance of busyness, I think the conversation at a, at a leadership level has got to be what are we role modeling? What are we encouraging in an organization? Mm. So obviously individuals need to find their own way through this and there are lots of practical things they can do. But in an ideal world, this conversation would be happening at the boardroom level, yeah. at the senior management meetings, etc. to say, is this how we want our, our people to so be? So it's a real cultural issue. Yeah, it really, really is a cultural, yeah. cultural issue and how leaders are role modeling this themselves. And sometimes unintentionally, mm. it might be that they had been at their kids football match that afternoon and so it had suited them to send some emails later that evening but the person who receives the email at 10 o'clock at night doesn't necessarily know that that. so we might need to be a bit more transparent about the flexibility Mm -hmm. around that rather than it being that we're expected to work 24 7 7 days a week um let's move on to the dreaded smartphone should we keep it on silent for periods of the day again you're not going to give me rules but what are the rules here okay so about smartphones Mm. Just like the email, it can it can stretch and stretch and stretch. Yeah. So I think the most important button on a phone is the off button or the silent button and knowing when to use it. There's nothing prescriptive about this, but I have really noticed a trend, particularly amongst the senior people that I work with, that they are consciously choosing to reduce their screen mm. time and recognizing the importance of, of switching it off. And I think it's very easy because, of course, it's incredibly addictive, mm. smartphones. And there's a lot of psychology around that about it's almost like a, a slot machine that sometimes a lot of times it's nothing interesting. Then occasionally you get that really interesting yeah. or good thing. And that's the addictive part. So that's why we do the quick checks. So the importance of being able to decide when you want to switch your phone off and noticing if you're just doing that kind of almost compulsive checking and making some changes around that. Um, I think we talked about this, but office meetings beyond um, that, the, the buffers around them. Do you have any other advice, guidelines, uh, organisation to follow? Well, I'm a big fan of people doing a spring clean of their meetings occasionally. <laughs> and that means just looking at your meetings, because a lot of times meetings evolve over time mm. and there's habit around it. So every now and then just taking a look at your meetings and thinking, do I really need to be there? Because especially if you're trying to develop other people, it might be that time has come for actually somebody else to step in and get the opportunity and for you to create that space for yourself. So doing a spring clean um, of which meetings you should attend and then also lots of good etiquette around meetings. So much time is wasted in meetings. So I'm a big fan of shortening down those meetings, as I mentioned earlier, Mm. making them shorter, starting them on the quarter past the hour, that sort of thing. Because when there's a a deadline we know we've only got five minutes left it's amazing how much more efficient people get and there's less tangents and rambling and so on so uh, with all these things emails working at weekends the dreaded smartphone office meetings statistically what are the the personal effects on leaders um, both in their working lives and their personal lives well what i found in the survey that i did was that over half of people said that being busy often affected how present they were mm-hmm. with family and friends and also how much time they have for important things like exercise and time with their family and so on. 
And even down to things like stress levels, 47% said it often affected their stress levels and 49% said that it often affected their ability to switch off. And then even when it comes to something like sleep, which of course getting a good night's sleep is so fundamentally mm. important for doing a good job as well as our sense of well-being. And 42% of people were saying that it often affected their sleep. So really this, the personal impact is universal. It's happening you know, across the board, but also the extent to which it's happening, like people are saying often, not just occasionally, yeah. is really, really high and really and, shocking. And all those things that you just mentioned there have detrimental impact on business and work performance. Of course, yeah. I mean, obviously... It's not good for you personally, but of course that's not good for you in terms of your performance the next day in work or that sustainable performance. And of course, that's what's so important, particularly for leaders, is not just being able to sprint and hit the deadline, but actually that sustainable high performance. And we really need these things like sleep and being able to switch off and all of that to be able to do that. Super. Jill, thanks so much for coming in. I think we have gone through a lot on how leaders listening today can work better, not busier. Um, thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure. Delighted to be here. Thanks.